I'd like to welcome you, O oh future teachers of mindfulness meditation. I'm Tara Brock. And I'm Jack Cornfield. Warm greetings to you. To support you in your training, we've created a special podcast series of the best wisdom teachings from previous years of our teacher training. Now, we know that sometimes simply listening and not having to watch a screen is a really good way to open, receive, and learn. The wisdom you'll hear is timeless, so while you may hear references to time, you'll easily connect with the truths that are being shared. May this rich selection of some of our favorite training sessions deepen your understanding of mindfulness and compassion and bring a new dimension to your teaching. We hope you enjoy these special recordings. Many blessings. Right, everybody. Uh, as I mentioned, my name is Christy Peoples. Thank you all for being here and welcome everyone to our Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Certification Program live broadcast. I'm a producer here at Sounds True and I am very excited to be your host tonight. So we are extremely grateful to be welcoming Zinju Earthlin Manuel for this special broadcast on the topic of forgiveness, which is a foremost resource that can lead us to reflection on our actions and how they impact our interrelationship with all living beings and with the planet that we're living on. We're going to have time for questions in the second half of this session. And to submit your question, please use the raise hand function that is located at the bottom of your screen. Zenju Earthlin Manuel, PhD, is an author, poet, and ordained Zen Buddhist priest. The essence of all of her transmissions come together in her books, which include Sanctuary, a meditation on home, homelessness, and belonging, and the way of tenderness, awakening through race, sexuality, and gender, and her Black Angel Cards, 36 Oracles and Messages for Divining Your Life. Welcome, Zenju. Greetings. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Christy. It's good to see you. Um, we've spoken before, so I'm very excited and having a conversation with you and engaging today and also engaging everyone that's here uh, the best way we can. So, um, so happy that everyone is here and um, we have this moment and this time uh, together and that will never be the same this way again. And maybe I'll be back, but maybe it wouldn't be the same. It's, it's only now that we're experiencing each other. And I always take that um, very seriously, <laughs> this moment, and also take seriously the, um, and not for granted, I'll say, the ability to gather and the right to gather where there's places in the world where people cannot gather um, uh, for various reasons. And, um, and so I don't take this uh, opportunity, you know, lightly. Um, I don't take also the, the land I sit on lightly. I, I'm in um, 
New Mexico, um, many, many tribes. Uh, and Tiwa is, is in Albuquerque mostly. And so uh, the Tiwa Native Americans, um, three uh, Aztec tribes, 19 Pueblos and uh, Navajo and Dene tribes uh, around me, surround me and I live on the, on the land here with them. They're not gone, they're still here. So, um, so our, our topic today is um, embodying forgiveness. And, uh, and I say through ceremony, and we'll talk about what I mean by that and then hopefully clarify as we go. Uh, I bring also my ancestors with me because um, they're, they are the ones I, um, whose shoulders I stand on and who I speak through and um, who speak through me. And so um, when I was given the word forgiveness, you know, the body came into mind and what I embody and, um, and does it allow uh, for forgiveness? And how have I experienced forgiveness? So um, as Christy said, the um, forgiveness to me is at a time when we begin to reflect on um, our lives, you know, um, who we are and reflect on our actions in the world and how we impact others, you know, how we are in, in relationship to others. And uh, also it's a time to also reflect on how we are living on the planet. So forgiveness is a lot bigger than this, um, as you might know yourself already, um, then I'm sorry, or uh, these kinds of things. It's a, it's a major uh, gateway, I think, to awareness. And so it's important to consider it more than a behavioral uh, act or a, uh, even a, a, a reconciliatory act, even more than that, but more as a path. And that means that um, uh, forgiveness, I wanna consider this evening, forgiveness as a, um, an inner way of being, as an inner way of being, as opposed to um, something we do after a harmful act. Because uh, what I find on my own experiences if we're not living in that way, forgiveness is not part of who we are and how we're being, then when that time comes for reflection and, um, and doing and being and taking action, the, the skill is not there. The openness is not there. The um, understanding is not there. We're just doing something from our head, from what we think we might should do, or this might work, or we don't, the skill it's hard to bring that skill up in the midst of harmful acts. That's what I wanna, um, so how can we um, have a forgiveness that's an inner way of being? So that when it's time for it to come forth, it comes forth naturally um, from your heart, or organically, whichever words you wanna use. So um, I begin to look at this and consider um, embodying uh, harm that we have embodied harm. So we, we haven't quite yet embodied all forgiveness. Many of us haven't, maybe there are some who have. I would love to hear from you. But 
embodying harm is what we mostly have from our life experiences. And so oftentimes our forgiveness, our acts of forgiveness um, come from that place, from that experience, from the, the embodying of the harm that has come to us from um, others in our, in our lives, uh, strangers, from uh, our spiritual communities, from society, on and on and on. And so um, that, that means that it's important in, or in our reflections and in, our, uh, in trying to embody forgiveness that the beginning, it starts with uh, how we understand our own suffering. It, under, it, it starts with um, knowing how we are suffering and what our suffering is. If we're not aware of that, then um, often uh, this creates the very thing that creates harm. And um, so I'm gonna talk about some of those things, but embodying harm, I want us to get clear of before we embody forgiveness. And hopefully we'll have time to do just a short exercise um, you will do with yourself and, and visualize um, toward the end of this uh, presentation or maybe somewhere in the middle, who knows where it'll land. I'll allow <laughs> the ancestors to guide me here. So um, one of the things in my experiences and in, in my um, acts of harm and uh, is having a, a strong sense of right and wrong. And um, this comes from uh, my life and what I see, you know, like that's wrong, that's right, that person's wrong, that person's right. Um, that thing's wrong and that thing's right. And, um, or this seems really right for me and I'm not looking at the other person at all or the other people, if it's a community, you know, it's not always one-on-one. -on -one. And so um, just being um, not aware of uh, this, how this right and wrong, strong sense of myself uh, impacts others, impacts myself first, and then impacts out of this impacts my motivation. You know, there's always a motivation before our acts. You know, there's always that that comes before what we're thinking and what we're feeling about something. And then we take action. Today, there was a motivation for you to come to this session. I don't know, you might've been required. I don't know, you get to choose. I don't know, I don't know the protocol. Um, you came to, maybe you've heard of my name and you came to hear me. Um, didn't matter if I talked about forgiveness or anything. <laughs> you just wanna engage, I love that. But what is your motivation? You know, what is your motivation in being in the program and, and these kinds of things? This motivation also gets you to understand how you might suffer because the motivation is the, the first action before the harm. And so we're gonna look a little closer at that um, this evening. And so that we understand we're not only looking at the forgiveness. So a lot of times we're just focused on, this is forgiveness, this, was, this is what it means, and this is how you do it. <laughs> and we skip over a whole big part. And that's the preparation for all of that. And that preparation is looking at ourselves and looking at our suffering and looking how maybe you too have a strong sense of right and wrong, you know, maybe you too. Um, the other thing is once you have this strong sense of, of right and wrong, 
um, you separate, you know, from the other. The dividing line goes up and um, it makes it very easy to um, objectify the other, even if that's not a person, it could be a community, an idea, you objectify that. And so it makes it easy to harm, to, to attack. Um, this actually is one of the tactics used, um, you know, uh, in, in, um, in all over the world, I would say in our country, but, um, you know, it, during slavery, you know, was to dehumanize, right? To dehumanize, uh, you know, an Africans so that, that it's easy to, uh, you know, do something if the person is an object and not a person. So one of the, the things in forgiveness is to understand that same mentality, you know, within ourselves, that same frame of mind and whether or not we objectify the other, you know, no matter what the other is. In community, it could be our partner. It could be anything. It could, it could be anything in our lives. So really looking to, to understand that strong sense of being separate from the other. Not that that is wrong to feel the separation. That's not wrong or is no, neither is it right. It has nothing to do with that. It has something to do with being embodied, being a human being. This is part of being human being. And we're here to understand that so that our lives are more in harmony with um, peace and love and kindness. And so um, this has been my practice and this is what I'm sharing. I'm sharing completely from how I've walked the path uh, of spirit, of wisdom, of dharma. So um, I've talked about being right and wrong and how right and wrong creates um, separate, uh, separateness and, di and division. And then the third thing is this um, you know, pr uh, perception of mind that comes before the act of, of harm. And I studied that myself very, a lot <laughs> because and I find myself in situations of harm uh, I had to stop and look back to see what was going on, you know, inside of me that um, felt to be uh, some kind of, uh, I would say, belief, some kind of uh, ingrained way of being that had nothing to do with forgiveness. Forgiveness was already always something over there something for later, because I'm perfect, I won't need to forgive anybody. I'm not gonna hurt anybody. I didn't hurt anybody, you know? So it's always separate over there. And when I sat and reflected, I began to realize, oh, there's, there's a lot going on before I harm somebody in my words, what I've said, how I've said them, when I said them, um, taking the wrong action at the wrong time, uh, these kinds of things. So we're gonna look at, hopefully look at some of that too for you. So, and so most actions I realized were based on how I suffered, you know? So in suffering, um, I wanted to prevent it, right? <laughs> All of us do. So one of the things I, I developed and maybe you too is how to control everything and everybody. And in that path of controlling, there's harm. There can be harm. You know, when you're trying to protect yourself, 
protect your own heart in, 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 a, in a place of controlling. You know, you might find yourself uh, in, in um, harm's way yourself or harming others. Another one I came up with, um, and maintaining a reputation. You know, so sometimes we harm people because we want to make sure that we appear as we think we are. We want to make sure we appear as we think we are. So it's important to let the other person know that, and we might let them know that, who we think we are by saying some things, taking action that we think is proving who we are. But is it? Is it really proving who you are? Or just something you put in place as who you are to control and to protect? So the other thing, um, you know, some of our suffering is um, arrogance. I was told that really early on in my uh, practice. And um, I was shocked <laughs> when the uh, teacher, um, it was in the Nishran tradition where you go in and you, you're just like right in the room. And, and the woman was um, talking to me and I was telling her, all about how horrible my roommate was. <laughs> and I had a long list. <laughs> of course, I've been treating this roommate not so good, right? Because <laughs> I have this long list. And so she um, kept listening to me and she said, mm, you're arrogant. And I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're not understanding. I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about the roommate, you know? <laughs> And she just like, you know, I kept going on about the roommate. I even dug up some more stuff to make it really good. You know, like make the case, come on, make the case. So I could get help with this roommate. <laughs> and um, it was quite, you know, she said, you're arrogant, you know. And um, she went on, you know, like, and I, I did not feel good, you know, like you, you know, I bet you feel good that you chant real well and you blah, blah, blah. She was going on and on. And I was like shocked. And I had to live with that for about a year because I would not accept it. It took me a year to walk with that and to understand what arrogance was and that sense of being right and that sense of knowing. And when I, at one point I sat down and I, I don't know, I like to make exercises for, I make my own exercises. Maybe I should do a book on that or the different exercises I do um, in my practice that help me walk. Cause I have a lot of them. I just realized that. And so one of them was to, to make a face. And on one side, I listed all the things about this roommate. And then on the other side was me, right? On the other side. And so at first, of course, I started with the roommate because I had all the words for her. And then on the other side, it was going a little bit slow, you know, around the things that mm, I was not. It was like one more or two where I already had like 12 for her, but like I couldn't get one or two. And I said, wow. So then I sat back and smiled. And then I looked at the other side and I realized that this 12, 12 aspects of that person that roommate was me. I was blown away. I said that even though it might be her too, who cares? But it was me. That was the most important thing. That those those aspects of that person were me. It was me. I could see. I said, oh, I'm like that too. 
although that roommate didn't complain of that, you know, but I'm like that too. And that was startling for me. So I think that's, I continued to study it. I still study it because it causes, it can cause harm. And um, I think everyone here has been in the place of being harmed, in the place of harming. And that's because we embody harm. We embody it from our life's experience. I wanted to read something um, quickly from my latest book that came out in December 2020. It's called The Deepest Peace. And it's a lot of poetry in here and prose. And I said, I know I must have something in there to share tonight. And I flipped right to it. So I want to share that. And then I want to talk about embodied forgiveness. And then we're going to do, um, when I say through ceremony and why I pick ceremony to be that place as opposed to methods and techniques. Okay. So here's, here's this, um, if anybody has this book, it's on page uh, 51. It's called Facing Mountains and Acknowledging Each Other. I think of humanity as a range of mountains. To study our terrain makes peace possible. Remorse or regret for those we've hurt or anger and rage toward those who've hurt us become boulders. If we look up and see the mountains in each other, we see the rain on the faces of those we hurt and those who hurt us. We feel the same warm rain upon our own cheeks. When we are blind to how we mirror the ridges and peaks of each other's lives, then we are unable to hold life sacred. When we are unaware, I like to use that instead of blind, to how we mirror the ridges and peaks of each other's lives, then we are unable to hold life sacred. We continue to hurt and hurt others. So in that chapter, it goes on a lot, a little bit. And um, um, I was actually looking at the, at the mountains uh, that were surrounding me where I live and how, how beautiful they were and seeing them as humanity, a reflection of humanity and uh, a reflection of myself in that humanity. And so it gave me a chance to you know, pause and really reflect, as I say, forgiveness, when we're in that place of wanting to forgive or be uh, wanting to forgive or wanting others to forgive us, um, in places of harm and difficulty and sensitivity that we're in that place of looking at life, humanity, and, and learning how to look at it in a place of sacredness. So if we have uh, embodied forgiveness as an inner way of being, as opposed to that thing we do after we hurt or harm something or someone, then we're carrying um, life as sacred. Now, even if we struggle with it being separate, right or wrong, we have our perceptions, we take our actions, all those things I named, even if we have all of those, I'm only bringing those things up to the surface so that we can smell the fragrance of it and know the texture of it and feel it and know it so that we can know what is um, 
part of this forgiveness experience. Yeah, so. So I want to pause here for a moment and allow some of the um, words to just wash through. It's going to ring a bell once to kind of help you let go of all those words. It only takes one minute to meditate. To pause and to breathe. Okay, I'd like to continue and talk about embodied forgiveness a little bit and then do maybe the visualization. It should take just about two or three minutes. So embodied forgiveness, again, I feel is um, having it already part of your DNA, bring it into, it's already in your DNA, but to bring it up out of there, out of your body and into forefront, into your life every day in every moment not again, not something later. So the reason why I think embodiment, um, embodying forgiveness is better done through ceremony is because um, when we do sometimes different kinds of, uh, you know, techniques and methods, which are good, I'm not actually at all against anything that can help us. But, you know, when we're in ceremony, we're using our body, the senses of who we are and how we're moving. So even the visualization I'm giving you, I usually am in space with folks and we are in, in, in doing something with our bodies together um, with what I'm going to do. But we can't do that on, on uh, Zoom tonight. Um, so I am still going to offer it. But I do believe that ceremony um, my practice in Zen has taught me that um, ritual and ceremony is a powerful way to, um, to attend to suffering uh, of, of self and others together, you know, all at once. You can be in a room of, of people, half the people you don't like, and I've been there, and, and half the people you like. And I've been there. And then sometimes those people you like shift over to the people you don't like. And the people, you know, just keeps going all over the place like that. <laughs> but when you're in ceremony, it's just a matter of offering the flowers, using your body to offer the flowers, using your body to bow, 
when I attend the other ceremonies, um, you know, uh, traditional African ceremonies, you know, there's a lot of bowing there too, <laughs> you know, a lot of prostration, using the whole body, offering up the whole body to the spirit of the unknown, you know, and that's, that is what um, the Dharma is about as well. You know, it's been kind of taken out of that context a lot, but it is about entering ceremony. And even when we sit down to meditate in a way to bring forth this, um, this bring the body in to the practice, not just the head and the mind and what I need to know. Do I know the Four Noble Truths? Yes, okay, great. I know the Four Noble Truths, but what does that mean, you know? So um, in, in Zen, we have a lot of things, like we have precepts, you have precepts, you know, you take refuge in Buddha and Dharma and Sangha, you know, and you do that through song, you might do that in chant, you might in, in group and in community. And that's what I loved about Zen, it was the only place that I could find um, uh, ceremony every day in community, there was no other place. I was doing ceremonies with everyone else, but it wasn't every day. So it was at particular times of the year. So um, so I think I really, the chanting and the bowing, and then there's all the things people bring in. So yes, I was aware of all the races and the homophobia, the, the sexism, on and on and on. I was aware of all of it. And I was aware of my own internalized oppression. And I was aware of how much I it hurt you know, and I was aware of how much joy also I was having in the ceremony, only one in ceremony. And so um, that's how I learned that uh, forgiveness is in here and it's in here all the time, that it's somehow been shifted out away from the body, away from the ceremonies that we do all the time. We have a, what's called a full moon ceremony also in Zen, it's called Fasatsu. And in Fasatsu, it happens every full moon. And in that you are, um, you know, talking about your ancient twisted karma. <laughs> you're talking about all, you're like, it's a, a huge forgiveness ceremony, but it's done in ceremony. So you're talking about not only yours, like what I've done, but ancient, 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 ancient from aeons, actions from aeons long, 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 long before any of us were born. And that's huge to me. I want to do that. I want to, I want to do a ceremony. I want that forgiveness to go that far back or that far forward. You know, generations and generations ahead and generations behind. That's that's how how strong our forgiveness practice uh, needs to be. So um, I think we now we take about two or two or three minutes to do this, and you can do it at your seat right where you are, and you can. Um, uh, just find a way. You don't have to close your eyes unless you want to. But this is a practice I learned from uh, Thich Nhat Hanh. And it's, it's not particularly a forgiveness ceremony, but it is a ceremony you can do with yourself if you want, or a ritual, you know, if you want to bring in, you know, what you like to bring in, lights and candles and those kinds of things. But it's, um, it's a ceremony I like to do in group. But unfortunately, we're going to do it right here together in our square boxes. So um, just um, go into your regular breath and uh, and we're practicing to um, feel and bring that presence 
of love. Our presence is love. Let's put it that way. Then we have to worry about what love is. Our presence is love. And there's five gifts, and I'm going to give you those five gifts. You're going to give to yourself, or you can give to a friend that you're working with around there may have been some harm with the friend, or a community with a friend, or friends in the community, or with partners, or with um, whomever, to the moon. You can, you can give these gifts to the moon, to the earth, to your ancestors. Whatever and whomever you're cultivating interrelationship. We're not here to struggle, so we're here to be present. So the first gift, and you just say it to yourself, or again, I say to yourself, to a friend, to a community, the earth. First one is you just say it in your mind. My dear, I'm here for you. My dear, I'm here for you. Number two, my dear, I know you are there. My dear, I know you are there. Gift number three, my dear, I know you suffer. And that's why I'm here for you. I offer you my presence. My dear, I know you suffer and that's why I'm here for you. I offer you my presence. My dear, I'm suffering. And I want you to know I'm suffering. And I want you to know. I'm doing my best. I'm a practitioner. I'm doing my best. And here's the fifth gift. This is a happy moment. Whether you feel this or not, this is a happy moment.
So embody forgiveness in a ceremony doesn't have to be that, you know, um, complicated. Um, some of us, when we say I live on the unceded land of the tribes who once lived on this land, this is an act of forgiveness. You're reflecting on what for generations has happened. There are many things in our life like that. Embodied forgiveness, I want you to, um, I think I'd like to hear from you later what you think that might be for you and embodied harm as well. But embodied forgiveness for me is adoration for life and those who live it with you. That's sacred, seeing life as sacred. This is the way I can always live without having to wait later to forgive. Touching the earth by touching the heart. Each moment, a chance for transformation. Each moment, what has happened can change. Seeing that others suffer just as you do. Seeing how they have suffered. We all have the same suffering expressed in different ways. So we can talk more about these different aspects I have shared this evening, but I'd like to invite um, Christy into conversation with me and also to um, bring you in, hear your voice. I, I, I love to engage. So please put your um, questions in. I don't I know, so raising hands. Okay, Christy. Yes, so um, yes, using that raise hand function. Um, Zinju, I just want to ask before we expand this, uh, you know, when you said forgiveness is an inner way of being, what struck me right away was it's an inner or an inside orientation to life. And then I also heard it could have well been an inter way of being, like the engagement the energy between people having that sort of orientation that took you a year to get with you right. mentioned before your practices can you say yeah can you say a little bit about that moment of getting that information or or creating that exercise that helped you arrive at this a piece of this new awareness around forgiveness and what that journey looked like right between that moment of like hold on i'm not these things and then in that year that followed because you know i think maybe well for myself mm -hmm. i would like to hear that kind of stepped out and i'm okay. sure there might All be right. others too okay great great question so help me answer it if i, if I, <laughs> I try to respond but first of all I trust completely. Otherwise, I would not have walked a path for 30 something years of inner transformation. I trust that the inner transformation is the interrelationship between others. It's one and the same because it feels like that if I'm separate from the other, you got it, I don't, I'm transformed and you're not. But if I feel in my inner world that there's a transformation going, I know that's going to, I'm sure, is going to affect 
the person the next moment when I go out the door to the, even going to the grocery store or something like that. It's going to affect them and um, or somebody I look at at a stop sign. You know, you just don't know how we don't know how we're affecting each other all the time. There's never a report. So one of the things um, that process I did with the um, exercise I created, um, I, I drew that illustration, but I also um, chanted and, and, and sat still with it for months. And I would look, I would bring it out. That would be the first thing I would bring out, plop, and place it on my altar. And I wouldn't have to read it. I would just put it there because I knew that that, that energy and I trust that my altar, that's what an altar is, <laughs> is to stimulate and engage and awaken those things in your life. So everything you got on your altar, if that's not what you want, you better take it off, you know, and, um, you know, be careful <laughs> with your altars, you know. So like I even work with people in altars, like sometimes I'll have a live people on ancestor altars. You don't have live people with dead people. You know, you just don't put them together. You don't. They're separate. You're, you're, the people have gone on have their own place to live. And the live people in your life have another place to live in your room, in your altars, you know, on your altars. So even in our own Buddhist communities, right, there's Buddha. There's not our pictures aren't up there. You know, our pictures don't go up there until we die. Then we can line up with Buddha. Then we're our names go up there on those altars when we're gone or when, you know, something like that, or when we're ill and there maybe be a special ceremony asking for some wellness to come through. But anyway, I don't want to get too deep into that, but I want to just say that um, the steps was simply sitting. It wasn't a whole lot of steps in that. And that person that was that roommate, um, we've been friends for um, 25, 30 years. We're still friends. And we don't talk all the time because actually she still gets on my nerves. <laughs> <laughs> But I love her to death. I love her so much. And, and because I have a practice, I can, I can be present with her. And the, my presence with her is the love. And, we're all, and so she can, we might not talk for a year or two, she pick up the phone and we start talking like we just saw each other yesterday. That's because there's a willingness on my part to be present despite all the things. I mean, I can begin to name some of the things that I got caught up in, you know, in that relationship with that friend and in, in learning my part in it, you know, how, and not my part psychologically, not that, but where I am spiritually today, I wasn't where I was spiritually then. I, I had no, I had such a detachment between, um, you know, a, a practice, a walk, in life that was all separate. Now it's just all one. I don't know what made it all one. Maybe, you know, being ordained might have helped <laughs> to make a life all one, you know, but it make this practice my life. So, but I do know that, um, you know, I, I trust that the sitting and I still interacted with that person, not all the time. And I do think there are harmful people that you don't do this with. So I just want to put that out there. You, you, you have to find, you know, your place. You know, um, my sister one time, it just was not working, my older sister, and I just like, boom, for about a year. And um, just took off all the plugs, the, the programming, 
And I came back and I came back with so much love. It was so overwhelming for me. It poured out onto her. And uh, we had the bestest of relationship, you know? So it just, it didn't, I, I, don't, I guess I feel like there's some place with all human beings, even despite when I can't, I don't believe in what they believe in or trust them, you know, cause I know the trust is here. I don't trust me with them. When I say I don't trust them, I don't trust myself with them. It's not, I don't trust them. So I, I get, get to the practice, the, the clarity. I think the practice gives you clarity on, on a lot of different aspects of life. You know, if you, you're sitting long enough and, and chanting and it's really your life, it's not something you do every now and then, you know. Um, it's kind of hard meditation yoga, you know, we kind of like, you know, we start doing our movements and then, you know, you could tell that, oh, that person's been doing yoga for 20 years. I can tell, you know, cause it shows up something in their body, but meditation, you can't say, Hmm, that person's been, it's, what are you looking for? You know, you know, so there's the measurement is difficult and there's really no measurement really <laughs> probably. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, I want to invite Leah to ask your question, please. Mm. Hello. Hi. Hi. We've met before at Zen Center and also at the gathering. Gathering. So. It's oh, nice. cool. Okay. Great. And um, I think my my question, there's so many questions that I have, but I think I'm just going to ask, like, sometimes when I want to try to forgive sort of like the institutions or bigger things like systemic harm and institutional harm, I like, it just like won't happen. And um, I can have like compassion for people or for groups and absolutely forgiveness for myself and for others. But like when I, when I try to like say, I forgive, you know, genocide, I just, I'm not, I can't, I don't get there. Like I can't, I don't get there. And so it's like, I'm wondering about that. Yes. Good question. I like it. Thank you. And um, some practices in, in the Dharma are not for the systemic oppression we suffer. They're just not for that. You know, I tell people, you don't have to have compassion for these particular leaders that are harmful. That is not what's being called for. What's being called for in this practice for you to have that for yourself. So when the time comes, when you're up against the worst of suffering, because you don't know what your life's going to show up. You don't know if you might go to jail and you have to deal with the you know, guards or something, you know, so at that moment, what's inside of you is going to be the most important thing, not what you can do for, you know, this kind of big global. I don't even, I have to say, and this is going down, being recorded, <laughs> I don't even align with the kind of apology for slavery or apology for Holocaust. I don't align with that kind of uh, practice necessarily. Because, well, um, it, it's, it lacks the work that needs to be done, right? That's what you're talking about. 
you know, that there's work to be done, that there's transformation that needs to happen, you know, for that to be real, that they need to look at that suffering. And that's what I was talking about earlier. So I would like you to know, to look at and reflect on what, when you say you give compassion or forgiveness, you don't have to say that today, you know, right here now, so don't get nervous. <laughs> you know, what is compassion? What are what is your experience of compassion and what do you think you're giving? What is your compassionate act? And what wisdom is your compassion based on? Where do, what, what are you relying on? Because you know compassion is relying on some kind of wisdom. So I want you to do that work. So that when the time comes and you're watching some craziness <laughs> unfold before you. You're not only watching the craziness or being consumed by the suffering, you're also seeing it. You're in it. And you're allowing something to come up through you, but you don't know what it's going to be. It's going to anger and all that. Yes. Yes, I'm angry. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's all it's human. It's being human. I'm going to be a human being. You're going to be a human being. It doesn't mean we can't be human. And I've seen people try not to be on the Buddhist path, it's very painful to watch. Very painful to watch people drop their humanity, you know, their, their person, you know, and not uh, that you have nothing to work with, you drop all of that. So in this practice, we're working with this mud. And then there's this mud we're in, <laughs> you know, and that's in, in every day, there's this life every, every century there's something that looks like people climbing the Capitol wall <laughs> every century, every generation. So now with each, with ourselves as humans, and then there's different ways of approaching. There's, there's definitely the social action, social justice way. And I, and I always invite my students to please take up that in the community with organizations that need your help. But when you come here, I need you to reflect. I need you to, find who you think you are, what uh, what your suffering is, how you suffer, so that when you go out there, you're like potent and clear <laughs> to do that work. And even though you're still hurting, you know, even though I'm still wounded, I sit here and speak and share with you. As wounded, you know, I've been beat up, I've been assaulted, I've been had gunpoint, crosses burned under grass, I have had it happen to me. And I don't go, oh, let me um, forgive the perpetrators. I look at the perpetration because it could happen again. It hasn't, but it could. Thank God it hasn't, you know. Happens to some people over and over. I've heard the stories. Um, but we suffer as human beings. And I was just saying last night in the talk that um, life is not comfortable. The human condition is not a comfortable thing. And that discomfort actually is our juice, is our juice. So I want you to sit with your juice and you know just keep it going. You know, don't try to 
play something on it or over it that you think you should do. I, I, I hope that's that's yeah, I don't want you to do. That. Yeah. Thank you for coming forth with that. Maybe we'll meet again <laughs> and talk some more about it. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Kelsey Zahn. I want to invite you to ask your question, please. Thank you so much. And thank you for being here. This was beautiful and I'm very grateful that I was able to join. Um, so my question is, I'm trying to think of how to phrase it. So the question is, many times in life, there are people you want to forgive who have harmed you in some way where they themselves have suffered and you can see that, right? So the, the example I have is my father-in-law um, was very, uh, he had a very difficult upbringing. He was abused by his father verbally and physically, which is not his fault, but then it is his responsibility how he then acts with us. And how do you hold that tension of this is not your fault, but it is your responsibility. And how do you communicate that well? Okay. Good question. I love it. Um, so one of the things is I don't take responsibility for that, for that person's situation, even if it's a family member. Um, I talk about, I have talked about my mother and we had a very violent, uh, physically, you know, as a child, I suffered a lot and, um, and I didn't understand it. And I remember, and it was through my practice, I, I, that's why I love it so much. I began to see this woman born in 1910 in Alexandria, Louisiana, in a rural area where there was nothing at the, at the like kind of almost um, just beginning of the turn of the century this black woman who has seen people be lynched and um, all these kinds of things in her life. And I began to realize, oh, you know, even though I don't excuse anything she did, it was horrible. And I did get a chance to talk to her years later, but I did see that um, this, this mother was thinking she was protecting me by beating me. Didn't make sense to me. And still kind of doesn't, right? That doesn't make sense. But she was trying to tame something out of me. I was very much out, very outspoken when I was younger. And then I got quieter and quieter and quiet till I wasn't talking as a teenager at all. And that's how I got into writing, actually. I became a poet. But I it just kept getting, I kept getting more silent and more speechless with um, so much violence at home and then violence in the school because I went to desegregated schools. So the work for me used to be out there, you know, like everybody get it together so I can have a better life, but that's too much work for me. And I wanted to live my life and I wanted to live it fully and, and, and enjoy. So um, I, I think that's the focus, more of the focus. And when you're living your life fully and enjoy, I think those around you, um, even if they're the, the perpetrating type, will will stand back from you. That's what I noticed. They stand away from me. They don't come to me. And um, they, they suddenly are, are like pulled back. I mean, I have this recently in communities, you know, 
the various communities, spiritual communities I'm in. So, you know, you can go into a spiritual community and experience the worst things ever, you know? So, so it's just being alive and being human being and understanding that context of life and allowing this mud to awaken you. So when I said, wrote the book, uh, The Way of Tenderness, Awakening Through Race, Sexuality, and Gender, everyone thinks I'm talking about race in that book, but I'm not. They missed the first word. It's awakening that I'm talking about. And that's what all this mud's for. And it, it'll keep slinging in your face until you do. And so I had to awaken through these things. That was my gateway. That might not be other people's gateway. It might be death and illness and children or whatever. Mm -hmm. To find your gateway. Not everyone has to jump on the gateway to me, a phrase. It would be good. And we're doing a lot of that. I love it, but it's not the only thing. It's one gateway, oppression, and it's a big one. It's gigantic, white. All of them are gigantic. So internalized, internal work is what this practice is. And that's what I tell my students, that's all I know. And it's what I've done, and that's all I can offer. You know, but it doesn't mean you can't do something on the outside. I did talk to my mother about what she did. And she told me, I thought you could take it because she only did it with me and not my sisters. And they would just sit at the sidelines crying and screaming and hollering. But it was me that was I'm like, why are they hollering? And that's who would be in my mind. <laughs> like, what? And she thought I could take it. And I just said, I couldn't. Those were my last words. I couldn't take it. And, um, you know, then later, you know, my older sisters, my mother was being beat, but I never knew because it was at times when I wasn't home and she would get in a bed with my older sister. So it was just being beat generations, probably she was beaten just generations and generations. She never lived with her mother. She was raised with a Russian Jewish family in Louisiana, starting at the age of eight. She never lived with black people at all. She didn't live with her family. She knew all about the Jewish culture, so do I now because I went to Jewish schools. <laughs> so, you know, it's really profound what happens to our lives and where they go and what they look like and what we show up as now, like you're showing up here right now. Your presence is your love. Thank you for it. Thank you so much. Yeah. We have, um, On I don't know, maybe half a dozen more sessions with you that we need to just <laughs> I know. I, I want to hear everybody too. Yeah. I, I, so okay. So we're at the top of the hour. It, do we have time to make one brief bullion cube size exchange for someone? Okay, I'll try. Do we? Do we? Okay. <laughs> um, uh, we're we're in you. I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing your name, but uh, would you like to ask your your question succinctly, if you might. Sure. Uh, yes, your pronunciation is perfect. Wonderful. I have a question. Um, so my name is Weiren. Uh, I think we all go through cycles where we, you know, uh, have so much potent clarity, uh, getting to the work, and then got beat up, and then you know, uh, come back and recharge like with this community. Um, sometimes, you know, I work in the tech industry. I work on self-driving cars, so it's a very fast-paced company. 
uh, I often feel that on a daily basis, I would, you know, uh, hurt a lot by, you know, running out of my uh, energy, uh, when, uh, especially when I see other people are not less forgiving in a fast-paced environment. I don't blame them. I know where they are, uh, but I just feel, you know, uh, don't know how to find that uh, strong resource to support me uh, grow faster or to do the better work. Uh, do we just uh, suck it up and do it, or do you have a, a better uh, solution for you know how to do this better? So you're concerned about the fast pace of life and working hard. Um, yes. So uh, how do we um, uh, how do we deal with the cycle of you know uh, uh, getting clarity, do the work, and then run out of uh, juice in the battery? Uh, and how do I how do we do that better? Uh, yeah, because the, the kind of uh, that recharge process hurts as well. Okay, I, I hope I'm understanding, but I do think that for for me in this fast-paced life, that everything everything has to be um, in in the presence and, and with the energy of meditation. You know, in that awareness, no matter how fast people are going, um, no matter how difficult it is. Um, that, that I'm constantly walking with the seeing and the breath and the awareness. You know, this is not a sitting practice, a seeing practice, really. We sit down to help see, but it's a seeing practice. So that, that's, the, that's the nutshell, if you can just hold it like that, that everything that is coming at you is for you to see and choose. You can choose. I didn't hear cho choice coming from you. And so, you know, having that, you know, beginning to choose and not and, and, and not being afraid of what you choose and being and looking, you know, into the future that if you choose that something else is going to happen. But if you don't choose where your heart is, it's, it's not going to be a fun life. Yeah. And then life is, is it supposed to be fun? I don't know. <laughs> Okay, um, I could stay on here all night with you all because I love conversation. I want and I want to hear from everybody, but it's up to sounds true. It's up to Christy. <laughs> okay, thank you. I can't hear you suddenly, uh, Christy. You're muted. Yeah. Ah. Okay. okay. Can we do one more? Sure. Yes. Okay, Evelyn, would you Hi. like yes. to ask your question? Hi. Oh, this has been, thank you, so delightful. Yes. Your words really transmit, uh, so beautiful and moving. So my question is about um, uh, oh, projection, projection. Mm -hmm. um, I've heard it said, I tend to sometimes attract, and they're friends, but very strong narcissistic personalities and I've heard it said through some teachings like in Kashmir Shaivism that how we're seeing the projection over there is really a reflection of over here. And I really try, I'm trying to understand and I'm willing to say, okay, maybe I'm a narcissist, but I feel like I'm so different from these individuals. And could you shed light on what it is over here that's inviting and invoking three really close friends that are like this. Yeah. And, I, and the one thing I can see is that they're inviting me to practice healthy boundaries and speaking up. Okay. But outside of that, what is there over here that they're reflecting that is me All right. Uh, and us? Okay. So those people aren't always practice. <laughs> they, they may be practicing you saying, no, I don't want you in my life to yourself. 
and then finding a way to get that across. So there's a choice going on, you know, it doesn't matter whether they're narcissistic or whatever all these things are, or whether you are or not, you know, so I didn't, that roommate, I didn't, you know, like, choose her, but I, I can tell there's a type, I understand you, there's a type that I, I was choosing, and there was a way I was being, and that's why the, these types were in my life. And um, and when I began to see that, I still just allowed these types into my life <laughs> because I had no uh, way of understanding what it was that I was doing. So going back to what I was saying earlier about suffering and to really, to really mind how you suffer, you know, you know, what does it look like? What are your motivations to your actions, even in choosing those people? Why? You know, what is your, or what, not why, what, because why could be a dissertation, but what, you know, is, is um, drawing you to, to these people before you find out they're this way. You know, there's something there before, like, like kind of the, the breath before the word. That's one of my poems, one of my haikus. I love the breath before the word is the Dharma talk. It's so we don't need to talk. It's just the breath before the talk that really is the Dharma. And so what is before that and before that and before that? And whatever you come up with, it's a journey that you're, you're needing to take. And it's a longer journey than you just deciding what they are and what you are and what he, you know, that kind of our projection. That's, those are great things, but it's a longer and deeper journey than what you might think for your whole life. This might be your life journey. And then when you learn, then you teach that. I only teach what I learned. I don't teach everything in the Dharma. I can't, I don't know. I don't know about it all. I really don't. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. I will chew on that. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. There's Jennifer. one more. Okay. I don't even, I don't even, okay, one more. They're Irma, last one. Irma. 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 Okay, all the other hands dropped away. Sorry. Yes, I'm right. I don't um, know. So, she persevered. Okay. I, I unmuted. Woohoo. Um, so this is going to seem like a weird question. But when you were talking about your mother, I was curious what your placement is in your family. Are you the oldest, the middle, or the youngest? Or I, I'm the I'm the middle that presents as the oldest. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> okay. Um, that was really my question. I know it seems weird, but I was just curious because I was really into your your story that you were telling, and yeah, it it resonated something for me. So thanks. okay, great. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh oh, Jerome came in. All right, Jerome. All right, Jerome. <laughs> then we're wrapping. Then we're wrapping up, Jerome, the last wrap. one. Make it good, Jerome. <laughs> uh, okay. Hi. Send you. Do you remember we had lunch at Kerala several years ago, maybe 2017? Okay. Uh, and uh, I kind of was really looking forward to your talk. So today was uh, a gruesome day for me because I would tend to wide awake thing and the white um, affinity group. And I got plugged in to how disastrous colonialism was. And so my question is, I could go on and on about this, but my question boils down to how do we begin to forgive 
the effects of colonialism. So it goes back to, um, it, it, again, I only can do, this starts with us ourselves, right? Is We don't trust that though. I know most people don't trust. I mean, I didn't <laughs> when I was an activist, you know, to trust that this inner work that you're doing is affecting everyone around you. When you do something horrible, doesn't it affect everyone around you? Sure. Yeah, so when you're doing what you're doing and what we're all doing right now in this moment, that's why I even spend my time doing this work right here, right now, not, not because of anything else. There's just, you know, it's, so, it's my way of giving back for, you know, in sharing what I've walked with so that the people around me have changed who they are and what kind of people are different. And so the, this work around colonialism and these affinity groups are asking you to look deeper into the, how you suffer, when you're suffering, what's the motivations and these kinds of things. If you can, you can do the, the, the political walk and it's clear, I came into to Dharma with a BA degree in Pan-African studies and I have and studied every literature book you could possibly have. So when I came into the, the practice, I didn't wanna leave that gateway talking the same way I came in with the same information. Otherwise that would have been 30 years of a waste of time because I already had it, you know? So, so I invite even my own students, you know, to, to see what is trying to be shown to you as opposed to what, you know, and you, and you might go through the emotional path first, you know, of feeling, you know, the pain of it all is very painful, very painful. And I went through that too. So I invite you to go through that pain, to go through it. Let that be your gateway of awakening. Go through that pain all the way. And even if you feel you're not going to ever get out of it, because I didn't feel I ever get out of it. And, I, and, and my pain's still here. My pain's still here. And, I, and I'm walking through it. So allow it so that you are fully a human being, fully present. And remember, your presence is your love. Just your presence. Thank you. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Jerome. Jerome and everyone for sharing your questions. Your presence is your love. Bam. <laughs> Zinju, thank you so much for this deep teaching today and for your generosity and sticking with us and answering more questions and just giving from your heart. I want to thank everyone who offered your questions today and your time and energy, everybody who could join us live. We enjoyed your participation. Next month, I want to let you know we'll be joined by Jack Cornfield for another live session, and that's going to be on August 19th. For Sounds True, I'm Krista Peoples, thanking you again for being with us. Zinju, yes. MMTCP. Yes, a wonderful cohort. We appreciate you so much. Soundstrue.com, waking up the world. Take care, everyone. All right. See you next time. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>